to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. This week, we continue our examination of our favorite episodes season by season from our favorite Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. After our review, we will end our podcast with the latest Star Trek news. So Gary, let's begin with the synopsis of our pick for the best episode of season four, The Visitor. Sure. The story begins with a flash forward to Jake Sisko as an elderly man at his home in New Orleans. Unexpectedly, a young female writer named Melanie visits him to praise his work as a writer. She also confesses she had come to learn why he had stopped writing when he was 40, despite the acclaim he received after the release of his first novel. He responds to her question through a series of flashbacks that start with an 18-year-old Jake aboard the USS Defiant with his father, Captain Benjamin Sisko. They are there to witness an inversion of the Bajoran wormhole. The inversion causes the warp core to malfunction. While repairing it, Sisko is struck by a bolt of energy from the warp core. Jake watches helplessly as his father's body is consumed by the energy field and disappears. Although the crew mourns the loss of Captain Sisko, they attempt to comfort Jake and encourage him to move on with his life. However, the young man is devastated by his father's death and does not want to leave the station despite an invitation by his grandfather to return to Earth to live with him. Inexplicably, one day his father appears to Jake for a matter of seconds. No one seems to believe Jake's vision was real until the captain materializes again and is brought to sickbay where Dr. Bashir and crew members attempt to stabilize him so he will not phase out again. However, their efforts to do so end in futility. Although Jake is once again distraught over the loss of his father, this time he moves on with his life and goes to Earth and attends the Pennington School in New Zealand on a writing fellowship. He later gets married to a Bajoran woman named Corina and publishes its first novel, which receives critical acclaim. While at his home in New Orleans, his father appears to him again, having not aged since the time of the accident. Jake introduces him to his wife, who proudly shows off her husband's literary works to the captain. Jake expresses remorse over not taking the time to find a way to bring back his father. Benjamin attempts to counter his son's regret by affirming he had made the right choice. The reunion soon ends again. This time, Jake decides to spend his work as, on his writing and instead study subspace mechanics and somehow attempt to save his father. His obsession breaks up his marriage, but he pushes on. Fifty years have now passed since the initial accident, and Jake finally believes he has identified a prime opportunity to save his father when the Bajoran wormhole appears to be set for another inversion. He enlists the help of Bashir, Dax, and Nog, his friend and now Starfleet captain. They are able to get the decommissioned Defiant out of retirement 
to travel to the wormhole in an effort to recreate the conditions of the initial accident. Their strategy fails to bring the captain to the Defiant, but Jake materializes in subspace where he finds his father. The captain is anxious to learn of Jake's life since their last visit. However, he becomes distraught to find out Jake's obsession in saving him has caused him to neglect his marriage and his literary career. Benjamin be begs his son to let go of him and make up the time he has lost. Jake rematerializes back on the Defiant, but without his father. The scene reverts back to the home of the elderly Jake. He gives Melanie original pages of the writings he had accomplished since the last meeting with his father in subspace and sends her on her way. As he now expected, his father appears to him. This time, Jake has a plan to set things right. Jake reveals that he injected himself with poison to commit suicide in order to sever the link between himself and Benjamin to reset the timeline by changing the outcome of the day the captain disappeared into subspace. Benjamin protests the action, but the poison is already taking effect. Before dying, Jake warns his father that this time he must dodge the energy bursts from the warp core. The scene reverts back to the day of the accident. Benjamin follows his son's counsel and averts the accident. The 18-year-old Jake has no knowledge of the alternative timeline. However, Benjamin remembers all and is deeply moved by what the two of them would have lost if they had not gotten this second chance. The Visitor was written by Michael Taylor and directed by David Livingston, who you've heard us speak about in the last few podcast episodes. Michael Taylor is a New York native and graduate of Yale University. While still in New York and working as a musician, he began his television career as a freelance writer for Deep Space Nine. Among the four scripts he wrote for the series, two are named frequently as the best in the Star Trek franchise, The Visitor and the season six episode In the Pale Moonlight. According to imbd.com, Taylor moved to Los Angeles to join the writing staff of Star Trek Voyager in its final three seasons. Since Voyager, he has primarily been associated with science fiction shows such as as a writer on the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, he produced The Dead Zone, and Defiant for the Sci-Fi Channel. David Livingston is a television producer and director best known for his work in the Star Trek franchise. Livingston began his tenure with Star Trek as a unit production manager on The Next Generation in 1988 before moving up the ranks to become a supervising producer in 1992. He later served as a supervising producer on Deep Space Nine and Voyager. He has directorial credits on two Next Generation episodes, 17 Deep Space Nine episodes, 28 Voyager episodes, and 14 Enterprise episodes for a total of 62 episodes, more than any other person for the franchise. In 1994, Livingston was nominated along with the rest of the series production staff for an Emmy for Outstanding Dr Dramatic Series for The Next Generation. 
Now let's get into our review. Some may wonder why out of this action-packed season, we chose a one-off episode that doesn't really further the story of the Dominion's looming threat. What could possibly make this episode more important than any other in the season? And it's because The Visitor is an exceptional hour of television. In fact, it's one of the best episodes of Star Trek across the entire franchise. The Visitor is a perfect example of the innovative storytelling Deep Space Nine had promised since the beginning, but especially after the changes made in season three. This tearjerker is a moving tale of how a son's love for his father shapes the course of his life and eventually leads to him making the ultimate sacrifice to save him. The visitor resonates with the themes at the heart of Deep Space Nine's story. More on that later. Now let's get into the theme. The episode tackles several themes at at once. Loss, regret, perseverance, and love. But eventually, this story boils down to sacrifice. Jake sacrifices his life to sever the connection with his father. The other themes are also at the core of DS9's seven-season narrative. But here, in The Visitor, they are presented on a human scale. After a subspace accident on the Defiant that seemingly claims the life of Benjamin Sisko, Jake lives out his life in an all-consuming quest to bring his father back. Let's explore what makes this heartfelt and tragic tale so intriguing. Those main elements being the script, its focus on the Sisko family, the acting, and the musical score. While we've praised Deep Space Nine in its use of serial storylines, the payoff didn't just involve plots. They involved engaging characters put in challenging situations that tested them. This episode stands as an epitome of revealing character. We watch Jake Sisko experience the horror of losing a loved one over and over again. Here, life and death are on the line and watching Jake Sisko doing everything to restore hope by reversing the terrible loss is unforgettable. First and foremost, The Visitor has a first-class script written by Michael Taylor. It's an alternate future time travel story, but not in the traditional way. Taylor began his television career as a freelance writer on DS9. He pitched a spec script to the producers of the show in a search of a job. The idea was so good that it led to Iris Stephen Bear hiring Taylor to flesh out the story into what it became, The Visitor. One critic said that The Visitor sums up everything that made Deep Space Nine so unforgettable. It's a perfect example of the type of storytelling fans were promised by the leadership changes during season three. The second scene of The Visitor focuses our attention on what appears to be the death of Benjamin Sisko. The event of the wormhole inversion leads to a subspace disturbance which disconnects Ben from time. Given that this is the third episode of the season, it was unlikely that Sisko was going to die. But despite that, 
As a viewer, you can't help getting drawn into the story after an unexpected setup like that. As the episode unfolds, we see Jake go through the trauma of losing his father four times throughout his life. The cruelty of repeatedly watching Cisco appear and disappear without warning deepens our empathy for Jake. Viewers can find it easy to sympathize with Jake's pain because we're experiencing it as well. Loss is a reoccurring theme for the Cisco men. The series began with Ben and Jake struggling to process the tragic loss of wife and mother, Jennifer Cisco at Wolf 359. Taylor used that fact about the, Dis the DS9 story at the beginning of a scene between Kira and the 18-year-old Jake, we're made to realize that he has now lost both parents fulfilling their duty to Starfleet. We then follow Jake attempting to continue his life in the wake of his father's assumed death. However, after a few sightings of Ben, things change. At first, Jake follows his dream to be a writer and the hope of honoring his father's last wish for him. But after a second sighting of his father, the adult married Jake feels guilty that he had focused on what he considered as selfish desires rather than exploring ways to bring his father back. Jake sacrifices his marriage and his writing much like how Benjamin Sisko in the series' first two episodes found himself stuck reliving the moment of his wife's death and unable to move on. In The Visitor, Jake can't let go of his obsession with bringing his father back. He sacrifices everything that brings him joy, his marriage and his writing career, until he realizes that in order to achieve his dream, Jake has to sacrifice his empty life as well. Throughout the episode, Michael Taylor weaves a bittersweet tale that gives us an opportunity to see the depths of devotion built between a father and son. The visitor is a rare and priceless experience. So now let's talk about the family. In discussions about the depiction of black fathers on television, Benjamin Sisko is never mentioned. This is just another example of how most television critics and experts treat genre television. It's an insult and oversight given how rarely we see a black man depicted as a loving, caring, and also intelligent father. That's true. Likewise, fam family dynamics have rarely been the topic chosen for the dramatic material on Star Trek. When it was... The family members are primarily written to be estranged, as in the case of Spock and his parents, or the relationship between Data and Lore, All right. or, or in some conflict with one another. Besides the Siskos, the only other family members who were stationed together were De Dr. Beverly Crusher and her son Wesley, yet their relationship on screen was undermined from the Next Generation's first season. Wesley rarely confided in his own mother. She was regularly overlooked in favor of male figures like Riker, Data, or Picard. The writers were more interested in creating a surrogate father relationship for Wesley than realistically portraying a loving mother-son relationship. 
This situation was only made worse in season two when Gates McFadden had been fired from the show. Fans questioned why a single mother would leave her only child behind on a starship. If Beverly left to pursue professional opportunities, why abandon her parenting responsibilities as well? Nothing she would experience during her time away could compare to the dangers encountered by living on the flagship of Starfleet. Right, it just didn't make any sense. It made no sense. In contrast, Benjamin and Jake Sisko have been the most completely drawn family members in Star Trek. They openly show their love, appreciation, and respect for one another. We've seen them during moments of joy, pain, struggle, and triumph. They've shared many of those experiences together rather than separately. By season four, their relationship had been fleshed out substantially both by the stories that focused on it as well as the nonverbal performances of Avery Brooks and Sirach Lofton. Their comfortability with public displays of affection in their most common interactions told us of a bond between them that read as authentic. By focusing on the father-son dynamic, the visitor gives us a tragedy of human scale. The emotions it stirs up in us are those any parent or child can identify with because loss is omnipresent in, their, in our lives. The impact of the loss is intensified because we witness how Jake needlessly throws away his life, resulting in a metaphorical death as well. Now let's talk about the acting. Very few black actors get the opportunity to play such well-rounded and complete human beings as are depicted in Deep Space Nine. In this episode, our three main actors, Amy Brooks, Sarah Lofton, and Tony Todd, create a seamless and convincing relationship between a father and son through their performances. The quality of all their performances is what makes the visitor work so well. Lofton, who was 18 years old at the time of filming, revealed that the initial idea for the episode was for him to play the older version of Jake using age makeup and prosthetics. However, it was finally decided to cast Tony Todd in the role. Due to the consistency between Lofton's Jake and Todd's Jake, we have no problem believing the two two performances are one because Avery Brooks treats the two actors similarly. The same gestures he uses to show affection or to comfort for one, he uses for the other. In the final appearance of Cisco, we see him watching over a sleeping old man, Jake. Brooks' approach to performing with Lofton and Todd is indeed what causes the viewer to accept the portrayal of Jake as one in the same. Lofton has said at conventions that Todd would spend time with him on set and observe him from a distance to try to pick up some of his mannerisms. And you can see how Todd mimics many of Jake's gestures and vocal cadence in the performance. Even though Lofton and Brooks each did a masterful job in portraying their roles, the most valuable player of the episode is Tony Todd. Three months prior to receiving the script for The Visitor, Tony Todd lost a close friend when the woman who had raised him died unexpectedly. Todd was so distraught, he discontinued acting for a while. When he read the script, 
Todd took it as a sign from her, telling him to get back into acting. Todd said he felt the woman's presence with him all throughout the shooting of the episode. Todd commented he regretted she never got to see the episode because it was the only thing he has ever done that he wished she had seen. There are a few acting credits in Tony Todd's career that have offered him the opportunity to display the vulnerability and humanity he displays as the adult Jake. Most of his acting career has been spent playing villains or violent thugs. Even in the Star Trek universe, he was cast as Kern, Worf's aggressive younger brother on both The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. In, in Star Trek Voyager, he, he was cast as a, as a ruthless Herosian hunter. That's a shame because The Visitor proves Todd has the ability and the skill to do so much more. So true. Okay, and then our final category is the music. Composer Dennis McCarthy's score for the episode is the perfect accent to this emotional story. The composer of more hours of music for a Star Trek franchise than any other single composer, McCarthy also wrote the theme for Deep Space Nine, for which he won an Emmy. Besides composing music for the film Star Trek Generations and several Star Trek video games, McCarthy composed the musical underscore for 88 episodes for The Next Generation, 77 episodes for Deep Space Nine, 65 episodes of Voyager, and 30 episodes of Enterprise. McCarthy's score for The Visitor is at one moment very heartwarming. And then, at another, it's poignant and tragic. Working with an orchestra of musicians who were both proficient in jazz as well as in classical music really sets the tone for his music. His main theme of the episode is a piece called One Last Visit, which perfectly captures the emotional tone.
So now our final thoughts. The visitor is powerful because of how it makes us feel. In contrast to other stories, the visitor reminds us of our shared humanity. It is a story that helps us discover our ability to empathize with others. I cry every time I watch The Visitors. It's a beautiful, deeply felt story that is driven by character and their connection to one another. There is no other episode in all of Star Trek like it. If you haven't watched it before, do yourself a favor and watch it now. Definitely. Great, great episode. But now we're moving to Star Trek news. And guess what, Gary? What? There's another Star Trek film proposal. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And you know, as you know, Gary, I have been reluctant to talk about these stories because every time these ideas are floating around, nothing becomes of them. Yeah, nothing comes of it. Yeah. They, they, they get a director. They talk about a writer. And sometimes they talk about actors whether they've been asked sometimes, or not. Sometimes they talk about aster, actors who say, I haven't heard. Nobody's called me. Right, right. But we do have another Star Trek film proposal. Really? According to Variety, a new Star Trek film is in the works at Paramount with Andor's Toby Haynes on board to direct and Seth Graham Smith penning the script. While plot details are being kept under wraps, the upcoming feature will be an origin story that is set decades before 2009 Star Trek, as well as an expansion of the Star Trek universe J.J. Abrams' bed robot is producing. Haynes recently directed six episodes of the Star Wars series Andor, starring Diego Luna as the titular role. He also helmed the Star Trek-inspired episode of The Black Mirror titled The USS Callister. Graham Smith is best known as the author of the best-selling novels Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Mm. He, <laughs> mm. Those titles make me confident. Okay. He also wrote and produced the 2017 f uh, film The Lego Batman Movie. Mm. Meanwhile, the fourth installment of the rebooted Calvinverse Star Trek film series reportedly remains in development, with, with quotation marks. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath for it. With the studio describing it as the final chapter. Yeah, it's the final chapter, all right. If it ever gets made. I think the final chapter we already seen. Right, right. Which was the third movie of the Calvinverse, which you said yourself... It was enjoyable. It, it, was it, was, it was more enjoyable than the second one, which was an absolute disaster. disaster. Oh, yeah. I agree with that. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about season five episode titles for Discovery. Yes. According to TrekMovie.com, the titles and credited writers for the 10 Star Trek Discovery season five episodes were revealed on the official site for the Writers Guild, which registers each script. Production on season five of Discovery wrapped up in late 2022. It should be noted that the final episode titles may change by the time the season debuts on Paramount Plus in April. The titles are... Episode one, Red Directive, written by Michelle Paradise. Episode two, Under the Twin Moons, written by Alan McElroy. Episode three... Janal, written by Kyle Jarrow, 
and Lauren Wilkerson. Episode four, Face the Strange, written by Sean Cochran. Episode five, Mirrors, written by Joanna Lee and Carlos Cisco. Episode six, Whistle Speak, written by Kenneth Lynn and Brandon A. Schultz. Episode seven, Iriga, written by M. Raven Metzner. Episode 8, Labyrinth, written by Lauren Wilkinson and Eric J. Robbins. Episode 9, LaGrange Point, written by Sean Cochran and Ari Friedman. Episode 10, Life Itself, written by Kyle Jero and Michelle Paradise. Now we're going to move on and tell you some more news about Discovery, and that happens to be the season five premiere episode. What? Okay, so while the season five premiere will not be available to general audiences until April, attendees of the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, will have the opportunity to view this episode sometime during the run of this popular event, which takes place from March 8th through the 16th. Festival badges are available now at the South by Southwest Festival website. Well, I guess there's going to be some people going south in March. Some people will. Yeah, I won't be. Okay. <laughs> okay, now let's move on to our tributes. First, we want to talk about Tracy Torme. Tracy Torme died January 4th at the age of 64 in comp- with complications from diabetes in Escondido, California. The son of crooner Mel Torme, he co-created the 1990s series Sliders and was handpicked by Gene Roddenberry to serve on the writing staff of Star Trek The Next Generation. Torme also was a writer on Saturday Night Live during his eighth season and wrote and produced with Travis Walton the 1993 fantasy drama film Fire in the Sky starring D.B. Sweeney and Robert Patrick. In addition, he wrote the original treatment for the 2007 Will Smith film, I Am Legend, and received co-producer credit for that movie. For the first two seasons of Star Trek Next Generation, Torme wrote the episode The Big Goodbye, which went on to receive a Peabody Award. Yeah, the only episode of any Star Trek series to win one of these awards. The episode was also instrumental in the use of the holodeck as a, the show's centerpiece. He also served as an executive story editor and creative consultant before departing reportedly due to creative conflicts with head writer Maurice Hurley. You know, there's a lot of people that had issues with that guy. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, he's the reason why Gates McFadden got fired in the first place. Mm. Yeah, he's the one who said Code of Honor was a good episode. <laughs> I mean, so far, I have not heard one story about Maurice Hurley that makes him out to sound like somebody with good judgment. <laughs> we also want to cite the passing of David Soule on January 4th. He was an actor and singer who had a 50-year career in television, film, and music in both the United States and the United Kingdom. In America, he was best known for his co-starring role in the 1970s police detective series, Starsky and Hutch. However, Star Trek fans may also remember him as Makora, an amorous young 
Valian in the original series episode, The Apple. And then our final bit of news, which is the final journey of Star Trek producers, actors, and fans. The remains and DNA of Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry and um, original series actors Nichelle Nichols, DeForest Kelly, James Duhon, and Majel Barrett Roddenberry, as well as some Star Trek fans, were launched into space along with the ashes and DNA of, of at least 250 other people early Monday morning on January 8th. Originally, some of the capsules containing the remains were to have been placed on the moon, but a malfunction in the moon landing equipment forced the company that devised the moon lander to abandon that part of the mission. Instead, the pod containing the capsules will be launched into deep space. So in closing, we'll be back in two weeks with our thoughts on our season four honorable mentions. The Way of the Warriors, Parts 1 and 2, which introduced Worf to TNG as a regular character uh, on DS9. Uh, we also will provide brief analysis on four other episodes. Homefront, Paradise Lost, Hard Time, and The Quickening. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a comment over on iTunes for us. It can help us out with attracting attention and new listeners. Until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Age of Discovery on X, Threads, and Instagram at Star Trek AOD. At Facebook at Facebook.com dot Star Trek AOD. Uh, on our website, Star Trek AOD.net, where we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, interesting sidebar issues, as well as other aspects of the show. <clears throat> we also encourage you to email us at our web email address, Star Trek AOD at gmail.com. We would love to hear about your thoughts of Deep Space Nine and this series of rewatch. But until then, live long and prosper.